The Bread and Butter podcast acknowledges the Yagara people and the Turbal people as the traditional custodians of Mainjin, the lands on which we record today. We pay our respects to the Yagara and Turbal elders, past, present, and emerging. Did I say good? Did I get you into it one more time? Maybe just in case. Okay. Go. Bread and Better podcast. Bread and Better Podcast. I feel like I am. <clears throat> Bread and Better Podcast. Hi, I'm Tegan, co-host of this podcast that you are listening to right now, the Bread and Better Podcast. This podcast is an extension of my passion and career in the holistic health space. And together with Alex, I am excited to explore all things health, fitness, mindset, and generational impact with you guys. And I'm Alex, Tegan's co-host. I'm a producer, a writer, and a mum of three. And at the moment, I'm just loving every minute of bringing this podcast to life. Today on the episode, we are welcoming our first expert guest. We are joined by Emma Slade. Emma is a sport and exercise psychologist with seven years experience. Emma is currently undertaking her PhD researching the social psychology behind group exercise. She's also incredibly fit and strong herself. Trust me, I have trained with her. And she has a real passion for hit style and strength training. She truly practices what she preaches, and we are excited to have her here today to delve into mindset blocks around movement with us. Welcome, Emma. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so as you already know, Emma, we start each episode by celebrating the best thing we ate last week, and we are going to let you go first. Excellent. I've been thinking about this. Tegan queued me in a few days ago. Um, but probably, yeah, last weekend on Sunday, I made an epic toasted sandwich at home. Oh, I was craving one all week. Yum. And then Sunday morning, I was like, right, now is the time. Tell us about the toasty. What was on it? Uh, so fresh Turkish roll, cheese, spinach, premium ham. Ooh. I went for the, the best stuff. Yeah. Uh, spinach, tomato relish, avocado. Nice. Yum. I love a toasty. Yeah. I don't think there's anything like better or more comforting in the world. I make a mean toasty. Yeah. With vegan cheese, even. It's so good. <laughs> Everything I say I make, Tegan's like, mm, I'm sure it's like yeah. delicious. Yeah. I'm going to make some things for you. Okay. <laughs> I'll try them. Uh, Do you want to go next? Yeah, I'll go next. So this week I went out to dinner with Magnolia. Magnolia is my daughter. She's in prep um, and I'm her class rep. And I organized a prep mum dinner and we went to Factory 51 in Cooperoo. And I had this amazing pizza and it was like gluten-free base and vegan cheese, but it had like a pumpkin sugo and prosciutto and olives. It was incredible. I think it had truffle oil as well. It was really yummy. Yeah, that sounds really yummy. Yeah. And I ate half there and then I was like, oh, I'm really full. But then I took the half uh, half home and I like smashed it when I got home. Yum. What about you? So I had my last shift at F45 last night and one of the members made me some cookies and they were like chocolate oatmeal cookies with some sea salt on top. So if you're listening, Ella, the cookies were the best thing that I ate in the last week. That sounds bloody delicious. But I also had an idea that AI can get onto last night, which is food related and I wanted to share it. Yeah. All right. Hear me out. It's Shazam. But for when you smell someone's dinner cooking and you need to find the recipe. Oh, that is so good. My neighbours have one of those smokers and they use it like every Sunday and it smells incredible. And you could just press your app and you would get the recipe for that. Yeah, I love that. I do feel like that's something AI could do. I needed that yesterday at the gym. So Tegan's familiar with this particular gym with an outdoor training uh, Uh, section. Uh, and I rocked up. I'm like, I can smell cookies. Oh, and it would have been one of the neighbouring households. Houses, yeah. yeah. I was packing up at F45 and someone's dinner. And you know when you can't even put, you, you're not yeah. even sure what ballpark it is. Like, yeah. is it a pasta? Is it something in the slow cooker? Mm. Like, what is this delicious scent? Yeah. And how do I get it in my house? <laughs> Tegan just ends up door knocking. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Yeah, that's what the Shazam in action. <laughs> that's how we build the data for the. Yeah. Anyway, that's my idea. So, Emma, Tegan has done a wonderful job of introducing you, but as I and our listeners are just meeting you now, I would love to know a little bit more about you and your career. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, I think when I first went to uni, 
I was adamant I wanted to become a sports psychologist. So essentially working with elite athletes, trying to improve their performance through mental skills training. As a hockey player myself, I thought that was pretty cool that we could we could have peak physical performance, but the thing that would really set elite athletes apart would be their their mindset. So went on this pursuit for a number of years. And throughout that time, I also became a group fitness instructor. And that's really where my interest in exercise psychology really first came about. So recognizing that I would have members that would come week in, week out to the point where, you know, on a Monday night coming to my class was a staple. And it was something that if someone, for example, said, oh, let's go out for dinner on a Monday night. They're like, no, no, I've got to go to Emma's class. And my mum also worked for the same company. So I've got to go to Emma's class on Monday and Sydney's class on a, on a Wednesday night. But then also noticing the flip side of that, where someone might come once and then we never see them again. And that could be for definitely like a range of reasons. And then the people in the kind of in the middle, uh, in the research world, we kind of tend to call them low active participants. So you know, they would come for maybe, um, they'd get their membership and they'd come for two weeks and then you wouldn't see them again for another two weeks. And then you might see them for a week. And then, you know, again, it might go three months before you see them again. And in conversation with them being like, oh, how have you been? Like what's been happening? And and some of these mindset blocks and things that we'll talk about today would really start to, to come up. So that's when I first made that connection that for some individuals, I think for everyone, but for some individuals, mindset's a really important part of being able to exercise or being able to move. And there's just actually a really limited understanding or practice of that in the real world. We know quite a lot about it in the research world, but in application. So that was kind of changed my pursuit. When I started my master's, I was kind of the oddball. Everyone else was like, yes, we want to work with elite athletes. And I certainly wanted to, and I still do, but I was definitely more on, I want to work with the general population and look at how we can improve their relationship with movement. Yeah. Again, knowing that there's a massive psychological component. So that's kind of my career background. I worked in different areas, like more general psychology, bariatric surgery, supporting people in that space, and then teaching as well at the university level. But my business in motion psychology is really focused in working with individual clients in this space of exercise psychology and improving their mindset. And then also consulting with gyms and fitness companies and brands about being able to implement psychological practices and the evidence-based research that we have available to, again, assist their members. Wow, that's so interesting. Yes, it's very, very handy to have a friend who is a sport and exercise psychologist, Mm -hmm. considering that I have a whole team of people that fall into this category that Emma is really passionate about. And I've actually asked Emma to present to my team before, which I know that they all got a lot out of. Um, And it was obviously a no-brainer to get you on the podcast based on everything that you just said. Today, we wanted to talk about and unpack some mindset blocks that our listeners may have around movement. So can you go into some more detail about what this might mean? Yeah, absolutely. So I can probably safely say that everyone knows movement or exercise is really important for their health. Don't think there's anyone in the world. There might be a few that would say, oh, I didn't know that. So everyone knows that. And this can also apply to a range of of health habits or behaviours as well. So today we're talking about movement, exercise, but also in regards to eating, nutritious meals, uh, getting enough sleep, drinking enough water, not you know, overdoing it in the alcohol realm, doing drugs. There's a whole range of health behaviours that we know that we should shift, yet that doesn't happen. So this really talks to that middle piece there of of mindset and the role of psychology. With health behaviours, so we have this very higher order, logical, rational part of our brain that goes, yep, I know that exercise is really important for my health. But what we see is that doesn't always then equal the behaviour. We can even have the intention, right, next week I'm going to get my gym membership and I'm going to start exercising. But it doesn't always equal the action. So we we get this uh, intention behaviour gap this middle piece where mindset blocks really start to appear. And there's a couple of ways in which these function and how they come about. As humans, we're very simple creatures, but we're also very complicated. We have this psychological phenomenon where when things don't match, we don't like it. So this is called, the fancy terms called cognitive dissonance, which basically means, again, in this instance, I know I should be doing something, but I'm not doing it. And then the more that we don't do it, it cycles around back to, I know I'm not doing it, but I know I should be. This is an example of cognitive dissonance. And it's really uncomfortable. It's psychologically uncomfortable to be in that state. 
So we tend to do a few things. One is avoidance. So we put our head in the sand and we stick our fingers in our ears and we go, yeah, I'm not listening. You know, I know, but I'll get to that at some point in my life. Like now is just not the right time. So we go into these avoidance behaviors. Uh, While we don't want to partake in avoidance, it's there for a reason, right? It's there to protect us, Mm -hmm. to face the truth or to face the difficulties of what's happening in our relationship with exercise or lack of relationship. So that's why we have this avoidance. It can also come from a place though where we've had previous lived experiences that these mindset blocks start to try and protect us as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and we can go into a few of those. Can I just say I'm smiling so hard because everything you're saying is me. I feel like I live in that gap that you've just said between intention and behavior. Mm-hmm. Like that's me. I sit nicely in this. <laughs> and there's a huge percentage of our population that aren't exercising. So the majority of people are probably feeling like you, feeling like they fall somewhere in that gap. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And this is more anecdotal like, evidence, but it's probably somewhat easier for the person who's completely sedentary. Yeah. Because it's, yeah, I'm sedentary. I don't exercise. Than it is for the people that double yeah. so that they, they're paying a donation to their gym because they don't really go enough to justify the, the, the cost. <laughs> so then they go and then something happens. Uh, so this is, yeah, and the stats show that, absolutely, Tegan. Like the stats show that, you know, there's not even half of the population are meeting these sufficiently active guidelines. Yeah. Totally. That's why when people are like, oh, aren't you worried about working in such like a saturated industry? I'm like, well, it's not saturated because we still have all these people that aren't exercising. So Mm -hmm. if we can inspire them to get moving, there's a whole untapped market there. (laughs) Totally. A mindset block can exist such as I'm too busy. And I want to preface too that when we talk about some of these mindset blocks, some listeners might be like, well, actually, I am too busy. For some people, this is their lived truth. I've met some people before where they say to me, I'm too busy, and then we take a bit of an audit of their week, and I'm like, yeah, actually. Yeah, you are. Yeah, this is. How much time are we spending scrolling Instagram? But this is is the uh, the flip side is that when we have this mindset block of, oh, I'm too busy, if you actually did a time audit of your days and weeks, you might actually see where you're prioritising your time. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So more specifics in regards to exercise. One really common one I hear is that if I go to the gym, people will look at me. That's what I said to you. Yeah, we were just talking about that on yeah. a previous episode. Yeah, yeah, that was one of my like mm. biggest things is I feel like if I go, I'm just going to look like an idiot because I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You won't have heard it yet, Emma, because it's not out, but then I told Alex a recent gym fail yeah. that I had <laughs> to make her feel better. It made me feel a lot better. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so as a lived experience example, which we'll we'll get to in a moment again, even things like I'm not fit enough to go to the gym. Yeah, yeah people say that a lot. That's me as well. <laughs> and when I hear that, I sit in that very logical space yeah, of like, that's what you're here that's for. That's, you're going. that's the point. Like <laughs> how do you perceive it, the people that you think are fit became fit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We used to hear that a lot at F45. Yeah, I feel like I can't go to F45. I've literally said this to my friends when they've invited me to F45. I've been like, oh, look, I'll get a bit fitter first and then I'll go to F45. People say that so often. But then we also have people who have never stepped foot in a gym before in their life and they might be 20 kilos overweight. Yeah. And they just come in and have a go because they're there to get fit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And obviously, like Emma and I working in this space, we understand that, but that would be so common. Yeah. Mm. And again, as you'll see with some of these mindset blocks, when we sit here and we talk about them very logically, we're like, well, duh, or where does that come from? Or that doesn't make sense. Yeah. But we'll get to it in a moment where they stem from, but emotions don't work that way. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I think another common one mindset block is, again, when we have that experience or we, we dabble in exercise, but it becomes this routine where even over a course of years or decades, you know, I'll exercise really well, whatever well is in quotation marks, yeah. really successfully for two weeks, then something will happen. I'll get sick, my kids get sick, I get busy with work, it gets cold, it gets hot, whatever the reason may be. Then I don't exercise for a week and then I have to drag myself back in and feel like I'm starting again. Yeah. So when we have that lived experience over and over again, Again, our brains are very smart and they go, well, this is just going to happen again. I'm going to go really well for two weeks and I'm going to have two weeks off and then I'm going to struggle and then something will happen and then I'll try something else and it's never actually going to stick. Yeah. Would these people be the kind of all or nothing crowd? They could be the all or nothing crowd. I think where it comes from is this evolutionary part of our brain 
where we learn to predict our future, yeah. whether yeah. that's helpful or not or accurate. Yeah. yeah. And you go, well, if this is my lived experience over the past 10 years that it's never really going to stick, why would I bother? Yeah. 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 And that's a legitimate from a, you know, reserving our energy and our resources, yeah. your evolutionary brain is actually asking you, well, why would you bother? Yeah. We could be doing other things and also avoiding that emotional toll of going through that. Yeah, that's so interesting. Again, <laughs> that's me too. I um, have like a number of health issues and chronic illness. And one of the things that stops me is that like I might go because I'm feeling really healthy and then I'll feel sick and so then I won't go and then so then I get scared that that's going to happen again, that I'm, I'm going to feel sick at the gym or on a run or whatever. And so then that terrifies me too much to try and go again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And this leads into this uh, discussion around where does this come from and why are these mindset blocks trying to be adaptive, but ultimately they draw us further away from probably in our heart of hearts what we truly want. Again, yeah. some people will just, you know, they'll just admit, I don't want to exercise. It's not an interest of mine. And it's it's that straightforward. But in this instance, there's this lived experience. Yeah. It's a, I learn, correct me if I've, if I get this skew with, but- I've learned that, you know, there'll be times when I feel really well and I want to exercise and I can execute that effectively. But then something will come along where my chronic health condition flares up. It's unpredictable. Don't really know when it's going to happen. And then it makes that relationship with movement really hard. Yeah. And if you were alive just to manage that relationship with exercise, you probably would have the flexibility to go back and forth. Yeah. But as far as I know, you've got children, you've got friends. Yeah. You, you know, you've got your, your podcast company. Yeah. You have a full life. Yeah. So, again, at the end of the day, it's just like, okay, that's one less decision. If I just shove exercise over there, yeah, I don't have to manage this then. Yeah. Yeah. You've just hit the nail on the head 100%. <laughs> yeah. So talking about these lived experiences that people have that create these mindset blocks, are some of these lived experiences things that we have inherited from our parents? Yes, absolutely. Preface, whenever we're talking about things to do with uh, passing you know, our lived experience onto the next generation or whatnot, we're not having a go at parents. Yeah, parents, no. are, parents are doing, <laughs> That's very important they're doing the say. best they can. <laughs> they're doing the best they, they can with the resources that they have. Totally. Yeah. But yeah, we can definitely pick up. So our lived experience, when I, when I said that, it is what we've experienced ourselves or in of observing someone else. You have what's called an experiential learning experience. You experience the learning by watching someone else. So if we take it a step back and where this comes from, I think it's very psychologisty yeah. to ask the question, if anyone's seen a psych or a counsellor before, a really common question is, tell me about your upbringing. Yeah. People ask, well, what's that got to do with anything of what I'm experiencing right now? Just give me the answers for right now. But why we ask that is because when we're little, we start to learn about how the world works. So we need to learn that one plus one equals two. We're not born knowing that. Yeah. Unless you're like a super child or something. <laughs> so we start to learn how the world works. Yeah. And with part of that, we create what are called schemas in our mind or basically cognitive or mental shortcuts because you know, when we become adults, if we had to think through every single thing every single day, you'd get nothing done. Yeah. You'd probably get up, eat, go back to bed. <laughs> so as a child, we start to learn, well, how does the world work? And we start to learn about cause and effect, consequence. You know, if I act in this way, this is how my parent or caregiver will respond. If I act in this way, this is the sort of the praise that I get or maybe the punishment or, or whatnot. And so part of that is we start to form an understanding and a narrative about what exercise or movement is. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where it can definitely come from our early formative years. Also too, I would say then um, even a little bit later on, we can have these experiences at any time point, but also as a teenager, there's quite formative experiences during that time when we're going through puberty, when we're learning, you know, how the world operates at this higher level, our social constructs start to change a bit where we're starting to stem away from our parents a little bit and trying to operate independently. So we can definitely have lived experiences in that space as well. So an example of perhaps one of these lived experiences is if you observed a significant other in your life that used, I guess, exercise as an outcome. Yeah. So for example, you might have heard the narrative of, you know, I have to go to the gym because I need to lose weight. Yeah. I've got this event coming up. We've got your cousin's wedding coming up. You know, I need to fit into this dress or this suit. Yeah. yeah. So it becomes very much then that 
exercise is the thing that I do if I need to lose weight. Yeah. You know, maybe some other examples as teenagers is when exercise is used more so as a punishment. Yeah. Right. So there's, we can probably, I mean, I can talk from my own experiences of where, you know, I look back at photos of maybe when I was like 12 years old and I'm a chubster. Yeah. <laughs> like I got a round face, I got a round tummy. Yeah. And I wasn't inactive. It was just those hormonal shifts and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, some people's experience of that is, okay, well, you know, my child needs to lose weight, so we need to get them to exercise. Yeah. Yeah. So when you come home from school, you need to do your homework and then you need to jump on the treadmill for 30 minutes. Yeah. You need to do that every day. So then when I have clients now in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and they're like, oh, I just, you know, even the thought of exercise just makes me drag my feet. Yeah. And we talk about these early experiences. It's like, no wonder, because it's always been built around this space of like, I have to exercise because I'm not enough at the moment. Yeah. I have to do something about my weight. Yeah. So it's really hard. You're not doing it to like better yourself or or be healthier. You're just doing it like for an outcome. Yeah. And a lot of people listening to this will be like, yeah, but sometimes we need that extrinsic or external sort of motivator um, or I, I need a reason to do this. Yeah. But when the reason comes from a very psychologically or emotionally uncomfortable or kind of icky, lack of a better word, space, you'll only get so far with that because you'll get to a point where I don't want to go to the gym and be reminded of this feeling. Where if it comes from more of a place of, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, but if it comes more from a place of like, you know, I want to go to the gym because I see all my friends there and it's a great experience and it makes me feel good, you can have that for the rest of your life. Yeah. But when it comes from this place or, or even hating yourself or from a place of like, again, not being enough or, or a deficit. Yeah. It will only get you so far. I actually was preparing a little bit of content that I'm putting out around this and just saying that I firmly believe that you're much more able to make changes to your body from a place of acceptance and a place of love and those Mm. kind of intrinsic motivators versus a place of dislike or hate or I need to fit into this dress, I need to do this, I need to do this. The clients that I see that have long-term success have kind of tapped into and they don't necessarily need to love movement. Mm -hmm. They've just tapped into why it's important for them that Mm -hmm. isn't necessarily something superficial or something Mm -hmm. that comes across kind of as like not a punishment but like you said, for a need of an outcome. Yeah, yeah. And also with that, so if you were just exercising to fit into a dress for a wedding, right, once you fit into that dress, would people then just stop exercising? Like would you find That's so common. Yeah, okay. So they've like achieved their outcome and they're like, I'm done now. So nice analogy for that is a compass. So we could have, it's a bit random, but for some reason we could have the goal of going to Townsville. I don't know why, but that's where we're going, (laughs) right? Big cowboy supporters. Apparently. (laughs) So that's our destination and that's where we want to get to, a little bit like getting into a certain dress for an event or looking a certain way. So what happens is when we get there, it's kind of like we tick it off. It's like, done, cross it out. And most commonly the ways in which that was achieved, if from the outset it's like, I just need to get into this dress, it's done in really in ways that we can't sustain long-term. Yeah. So it's got the objective. It's like, great, you've ticked that off. But the way in which you got there, it's not set up long-term. Yeah. Yeah. So to go back to that analogy, it's like perhaps the way in which we travelled to Townsville wasn't very effective. Uh, If we flip that on its head, if we have a bit of a, I'm not saying that people can't have goals. Yeah. We have a bit of an idea of where we want to get to, but we make sure that the path to that is more enjoyable, it's sustainable, whatever that looks like for that individual, we're more likely then to continue on. Yeah. So we might get to Townsville and we're like, hey, let's keep going to the top of Australia. There's an analogy that's like the man that loves walking goes further than the man that just loves the destination. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I love walking. (laughs) I love walking. Yeah. (laughs) So what we'll see is that if we go back into our lived experiences, if we've had enough of those lived experiences where it's you need to exercise for to get to this point and that's just been shoved at us and we haven't been given the space to develop a different relationship with exercise it kind of makes no wonder that as a adult later in your life you still have that sort of hit and miss relationship where you feel that you can't get that quality or consistent routine that you would like to flip that on its head and give a more positive example with Mm. the someone with a lived experience of a family that plays sport or their parents exercise and they go to the gym creation they've seen their parents exercise Mm. their whole life and then they've gone and played sport and they've enjoyed sport they're likely to have much more long-term good relationship with exercise yeah absolutely a personal example that I have uh, and I'm very fortunate 
for this experience, very privileged. Uh, so I grew up on a five acre property about 15 minutes out of the town where we live near and I had access, I had free reign. So, you know, I was five, I was on like a little motorbike, I'm an only child. So the friends next door were super important to me, you know, so the guys and I would get on our bicycles and then we'd go out all day and then come back when the sun went down, very wholesome upbringing. So nice. Um, and we'd build cubby houses and we'd get up to all sorts of mischief. So I really early on had this experience of um, when we're little, we're not exercising, we're not moving, we're playing, yeah. Yeah. we're being creative, we're having a good time. We don't go, oh, I'm going to go exercise today by riding my dirt bike or whatever down the road. It's just fun. It's just play. So I was really given free reign. And then with my parents both being active, but kind of in different ways. So dad was sort of in charge of like all the yard work and whatnot. Um, but he was a paramedic for 20 years. So would use the gym at the station, incredibly fit with his like muscle tanks in the nineties on and like, um, so he, he role modeled that. And then growing up, mum and dad, they raced cars. So on the weekends we'd be tripping around New South Wales. Yeah. So again, I'd go around to all the cars and, you know, I have really fond memories of just being active. Yeah. So again, we're not in it necessarily in a gym, but it's just an active lifestyle. Probably then as I got a little bit older into teenage years and mum had played hockey in high school and then she returned to it and she made a uh, state New South Wales team. And for her, that was a real time point where she said, okay, I I would like to become more fit. I've already got that relative fitness, but, you know, if I want to maintain this and do really well, you know, I want to get into the gym. So her and our next door neighbour who was also in the team, they started seeing this PT. And then next thing I know, mum is becoming a Les Mills body combat instructor because the gym owners were like, do you want to do this? Like you've got the potential, blah, blah, blah. So she got involved in that. Since then, mum has played masters hockey for Australia for, I don't know how many years now, I've lost count, for New South Wales as well. Um, But I go back to that early experience where I started going to the gym and I was thinking about this on the drive this morning, but it was like, I was thinking about my, how this started. How did I start going to the gym? And it was never because I needed to lose weight or I needed to change my body shape. It's because I had that role modeling that if I wanted to become a better hockey player myself, fitness is something that would aid that. Yeah. I look back at my hockey career. I wasn't the best skilled player, like my fine skills. I grew up on grass fields playing against um, other girls who grew up on synthetic turf. So there's a massive difference if anyone understands sort of hockey that I was more upright, my my fine skills weren't great. But I look back now and the thing that made me quite a competitive hockey player was my fitness level, yeah. my ability to read the game, but then combined with my fitness. Absolutely. I can relate to that. I was never supernaturally talented at any sport, yeah. mm. but I loved it. Yeah. And I had to work hard. So that was my yeah. motivator, to work hard, to be better. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And about it, my sport. Thinking with that too, like same sort of thing, it's just I, I just enjoyed it. Yeah. I remember getting out of high school and then getting my first job and we'd finish it a quarter to six and the first gym class started at six and I'm busting. I'm like, can we get this meeting started? Like <laughs> I've got to get to the gym. Like it's, um, But it just came from a place of really enjoying it. And then over time seeing that impact on my hockey. Yeah. But again, this all cycles back to that there was, I can never remember mum giving the message of, hey, I'm going to the gym or I'm becoming a body combat instructor. I'm going to this PT session because I need to lose weight. Yeah. It was all very fitness, becoming stronger and faster. Yeah. And yeah, that that really trickled down. Yeah. So going back to the sport and what motivated you both Mm. to get fit and go to the gym was so that you could be better at your sport. So I'm the opposite, whereas, like, I wasn't good at something, so then if I wasn't going to be the best, Mm. I didn't want to do it. That's classic self-sabotage. Perfectionism, self-sabotage. Am I right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that's, like, that's a mindset block, right? Yeah, and I think we're, you know, we're wired differently as well. Yeah. Everyone's got their own unique wiring of their brain. Yeah. So that example of... Perhaps knowing that you sh- that you should exercise, but perceiving that I'm not going to be the best at it. Yeah. In fact, you know, I could be the worst. Like, and we take that as legit. It's not your mind telling a story. You're like you're standing there in PE class, looking at the lineup, going, "Yeah, I'm I'm not the best here." Yeah. That's really emotionally uncomfortable. There's a high level of discomfort there, and this is when we start to appreciate these two parts of mind. This very logical, rational part that thinks things through, and oh yes, I should exercise because it's good for my health, and yada yada yada. But the emotional side's like, absolutely not. I don't want a bar of that. I don't want to feel that way. So we go into that avoidance space of stepping back from it. And 
PE class, not to have a go at PE class, but it is one of those experiences I hear a lot of. Yeah. When I say to someone, what is the first time that you've had this feeling of shame or feeling really uncomfortable? And they're like, PE class, because I get picked last, which reinforced that I wasn't good. Yeah. Can I, I have a very specific memory of mine. I know when it is. It was in year four at Athletics Carnival and they were picking the relay teams and I was the, when does the slowest person go first or last? I think I went last. Anyway, there was this girl and she was age champion and she went first and I was last and we lost the whole race because I was so slow and it was just the most embarrassing experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's understandable. Mm -hmm. They should have put you in the middle if you were the worst. That's what I would do as a coach. (laughs) Maybe they didn't know how bad I was. The sandwich effect, you're going in the middle. Yeah, I was new to the school. So they maybe, and I was like tall and lean. So they probably assumed that I was good at sport and I wasn't. And then I just lived in fear for the beep test. Oh, yeah. yeah. I I mean, it. yeah, it does show that people are so different. Like I do specifically remember the beep test and I wasn't very good at it, but I had the experience of PT is the most fun class that we have, even if I suck. And I was a swimmer, so I was shit at athletics. But I couldn't really understand why people wanted to opt out of PT. Like, I just thought it was uh, PT, (laughs) PE. I just thought it was fun to want to get out there and, mm-hmm. and play sport and move. Yeah, that's so different to mine. Even like I was good at swimming. That was what that was like the only sport that I was good at. I did squad my whole life. But then when it came to the school sports carnival, I had such bad anxiety mm-hmm. that I couldn't even perform. Like I was so terrified of the start gun and not and it just built up in my head that I wouldn't go on time or I was gonna belly flop or something would happen halfway through that it just blew everything for me in my mind. Like I know I could have probably won some of those races, but because of the anxiety, sometimes I wouldn't even be able to do it. Sometimes I'd be like, oh, I'm sick. Sorry, guys. Mm-hmm. I'm out. Yeah, wow. Yeah. and I That's guess where the are. sports psychologist comes in. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> the whole time you're talking, I'm like, how am I to get your business card as soon yeah. as we're finished? But this is, you know, we can have really dynamic experiences. So Tegan, in your example of, you know, I'm not the best, but I'm going to have a go. And probably you've had um, space prior to that in your lived experiences where you can have a go at things and there's no repercussion, whether you're a good, bad or otherwise at it. You're like, oh, I'm just having a go. This is great. Like, but even myself, you know, I think I'm fairly athletic and I really enjoy it. But when it comes to swimming, pole opposite to both of you. I, I like swimming on holidays in the pool with a cocktail. Yeah. <laughs> but when it comes to doing laps, swimming. I am an awful swimmer. I would do it if I have to. Yeah. Yeah. But you wouldn't, you obviously wouldn't pick that as your form of exercise three or four times a week. No, absolutely not. And I guess that that's probably a big part of it for people that are trying to bridge that gap when they're sitting in that gap is they're probably thinking that they need to do some sort of exercise that they don't enjoy Mm. versus maybe they'll be more motivated if they find something that they do really enjoy. And it's just maybe not what they think they should be doing. Talking about doing exercise that you enjoy. Mm. I went swimming last week with Emmy. Emma knows Emmy. Oh, you know Emmy? Yeah. Okay. yeah. She's very motivational. Mm-hmm. She was fantastic. And it was the first time that I've really done it, any exercise since I had Sol. Well, since I was pregnant with Sol, so almost mm-hmm. like three years ago now. Mm-hmm. And I did put it off a bit. Like we had been organizing it for a bit and i kind of chickened out but then I finally did it and I had the best time and I felt so good for like a whole week yeah those post-exercise endorphins but also just like setting a plan and showing yourself that you can do it and giving yourself evidence that you can yeah and I am going this afternoon but I had planned to go on Monday and because the pool was closed I was like oh I can't go so I didn't go even though there was like four other pools open (laughs) at least yeah (laughs) and I have a my fitness passport which I've mentioned before so I can go anywhere I want but I am going this afternoon with my yeah. mum. So love. Look at you. We love that. <laughs> but again, it's these lived experiences that I can do something. And also to, you know, not every, I don't rock up to every gym session or walk out of there and go, oh yeah, I love that. That was so great. I nailed that. I'm amazing. Yeah. Sometimes you walk out and you're like, why, why did I bother? Yeah. What was the point? I feel like crap, like it's, yeah. but collectively, if you think about over your life, if you've got a ratio where most of your lived experience is on the positive side where you're like, yep, that was great or I can see merit in why I did those exercises or whatnot. And on the other side, the ratio is a bit lower where it's like a oh, really poor experiences. Well, you're coming out in front. Yeah. yeah. Versus some individuals where the ratio is the opposite way, the weighting is the opposite way. For the majority, from what I can remember for the most part, most of my exercise experiences have been poor. They've been negative. 
Yeah. Whether that is from a physical point of view or from like an emotional experience point of view. So that perfectly segues into my next question for you. Mm-hmm. For the listeners that are falling into that boat, like how do they go about starting to unpack or work around mm. some of these blocks that they might be experiencing? It's probably two different approaches. So the first one in psychology terms is called cognitive behaviour therapy, CBT. Yeah. Some people probably heard of it. It's the most widely researched. Uh, and so for a lot of like mental health conditions, it has the evidence, but also for these, these other aspects that we're trying to work through. So the way I like to describe CBT is if we think about a triangle, So at one point on the triangle, you have your thoughts, another point you have your feelings, another point you have your behaviours. So this really talks to this cycle that we can get in when it is negative and when it's positive, right? So if I have the thought that I'm going to go to the gym and someone's going to look at me and judge me and that leads to the behaviour of me not going and then I have the feeling of like, oh, there's another day I didn't go to the gym. Yeah, see, I am hopeless. I have the thought, I'm never going to be able to achieve this, which makes me feel like crap worse, which then pulls me further away from the behavior of going. So we get this this cycle happening. But on the flip side, if we can start to break some of these these links and form new links, it can set a new cycle, right? So it could be, I have the thought that if I go to the gym, and again, maybe you have had the lived experience of going to a gym and someone judging you. Again, I'm not going to sit here and go, oh, it's all in your head. Yeah, no. Yeah, Because some people have had that experience. But if we have the thought, oh, if I go into the gym again, someone will come up to me again. Right. But again, in our reasonable, rational, logical mind, we know that maybe the chances of that aren't high, like it was a once off or whatnot. But maybe I can change my behavior. So I can think about, well, maybe if I go to the gym at a quieter time or I go with a friend or I do a group class, that feeling of judgment might lessen. So then I go and do that behavior and I walk out and I'm like, oh, I did it, which makes me feel a bit better. So I'm, again, I'm setting this new tone or this new cycle. Um, so that's more from like a behavioral perspective where we can start to gradually expose ourselves to the thing that we're maybe fearful of, to then change how we think about it and how we feel. So to put that in like tangible terms of what we mm. could actually do, that would be like, like you said, going to the gym at a quieter time yeah. or maybe even just going to the gym and walking on the treadmill to start with, like something yep. really safe that you're not going to feel like yep. anybody's going to be judging you for, going yep. for a walk with a friend, going yep. to a group yep. fitness class, and then you're starting to build that evidence and move the cycle in the other direction. Yeah, and right? a lot of people will go, but that's not what I should be doing. Like I should be in the gym lifting weights five days a week or whatever your perception is of what you should be doing and that what's walking on the treadmill going to do. Yeah. Like I've, I've set a task for some of my clients. It's called a buy-in where I go, okay, so we've got our gym gear and we know which gym we're going to and whatnot. And they, and they want to go ultimately again in their heart of hearts, they, they do want to go. I'm like, hey, well, your homework the next two weeks is maybe three or four times. I need you to drive to the gym, sit in your car for 10 minutes and come home. And they're like, why would I do that? And I'm like, because I want to give you the opportunity to buy in, to buy into the idea of going to the gym. Now I said, like, hey, if you rock up and you're like, oh, stuff, Emma, this is stupid. Like I've just got through traffic. I might as well go into the gym, go into the gym. So the next step is it's like, okay, can you go to the gym and walk on the treadmill for 10 minutes? Oh, what's the point of that? Because I want to give you the opportunity there to buy into the idea. Yeah. Mm. And get comfortable. And get comfortable. And then if you are on the treadmill for 10 minutes and you get off and you're like, absolutely not, (laughs) go home. Because all all I've asked is for 10 minutes. Yeah. I'm not asking you to do a full program weightlifting session or going to a Les Mills class or whatever it may be. So, again, I think we're very quick to discredit those, those small incremental changes. Yeah. Even I say to clients, and, again, using personal experience, like I can do my whole gym routine. With my eyes closed. I mean, I don't, but I could. (laughs) Even really subtle things from like, okay, I've got to get up and put my shoes on. Based off what workout I'm doing today, like what bra should I wear? You know, and what what am I going to feel comfortable in? And how am I going to wear my hair? In a ponytail or in a bun? Like, again, what what exercise are we doing? (laughs) Right? And I can get in the car and then I know my way to the gym and I know where I need to park and I walk in and it's all just second nature. If you haven't ever done that, you're going to have to think that through. And, again, you might be like, well, what do you you mean? That sounds just really silly. But it's all decisions. You're going to get – by the time you get to the gym, you've got decision fatigue. You're already tired and you haven't even done the workout yet. So I think – when we're looking at this idea of changing the the behavior on the triangle, don't be afraid to be incremental. Even your experience, Al. Yeah. You know, like last week I went for a swim. This afternoon I'm going for a swim. I was meant to go on Monday. And it's like, okay, cool. There was something about that Monday. Yeah. And it's not, we're non-judgmental of it. It's not good. It's not bad. Yeah. Let's say it is what it is. But there's something about that Monday that we can then learn from 
Yeah. Um, but again, we don't want to go full pelt the other way of like, oh, I didn't go. So I just throw my hands up in there now yeah. and I won't bother. So that's the trying to change the behavior. Yeah. If it's incremental, that is fine. Yeah. If it's yeah. the other way, if you are like, I'm going to change my behaviors and go full pelt, whatever that looks like for you. Okay. Yeah. If yeah. it works long term for you and yeah. doesn't cause yeah. you any harm. Yeah. 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 I think I didn't go because I didn't have anyone to go with. Yeah, accountability. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I didn't have anyone. And also it's that whole nerves of like going and looking like an idiot if you're with someone. I mean, being with Emmy, it was like very motivational because mm. she'd be like, I'd do two. And she'd be like, okay, now we're going to do four. And yep. she's like, you're doing it. Like you've already yeah. done this many. Mm. You can do this many more. And it was really nice. And like obviously I've made a plan with my mum and I don't want to let her down, so I'll go with her. But on Monday, so it was about not letting anyone down, mm. but it was also about having those nerves to go and do it by myself. Yeah, So, and you've had a really contrasting experiences in close succession, right? So you've been with Emmy and it's been really motivational and now with your mum. So that middle piece, it's like, well, I had to do it by myself. Yeah. And I didn't. Yeah. And that's okay because when you look at that and I want to encourage that when we're diving into our own psyche, to be really curious, right? So it's not about like, oh, I didn't do that. It's like, okay, what was it about Monday? Yeah. Just to look at this with curiosity as to what can happen. Because I did it last week. I'm going to do it today. It's like, oh, I'm perhaps not at that point where going by myself is just the second nature routine. Yeah. And it's really important that while I'm reestablishing this exercise habit, that maybe the social thing is what I, I pull on. Yeah. And I think anyone, well, not anyone, but a lot of people who do group fitness can talk to that because- you know, you go to a group fitness class and you'll do things that you would never do by yourself. You'll think you'll do it. Yeah. Oh, I could go to, you know, a gym and set up this, you know, as many rounds as possible or this long 50-minute workout <laughs> where I'm throwing weights around. Dude, you'll set the weights up and then you'll pack them back up and go home because <laughs> yeah. it's that social element that's really that's really useful. Yeah. So it's changing the, I think, the, the behavioural side of things. There's also, though, this thought side, right, where we can start to restructure our thoughts. Yeah. We can also look at unhelpful thinking, right? So a classic one is black and white or all or nothing thinking. Yeah. Right? If I'm not going to go to the gym and do the full workout, well, I'm not going to go. So we can look to then make more gray space with that. And that's that, that sort of talks to that point of, of a bind. Yeah. But again, that thought of, hey, I can go to the gym today and give myself permission to do whatever I want. People that know me well, sometimes if I'm sort of in a bit of a, a rut or a phase where I'm like, oh, I don't really know what I'm doing with my program or I've got some chronic injuries from my hockey days, some ailments yeah. where I'm like, oh, you know, even today, oh, my hip's a bit sore. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll still go to the gym and I'll just potter around because it's holding my routine. Yeah. But what I've done is break that down with my thoughts. So today I don't need to do all or nothing. I can do in between. Yeah. I can potter around. It could even be things like, you know, oh, I might, you know, if I go to the gym, people will be looking at me. And it's like, yeah, people could be looking at you. They could be passing judgment. Or maybe they're looking at my, my new workout attire. Yeah. Maybe they're looking at me thinking, oh, gosh, I look like her. Oh, she's really she's really nailing it today. Maybe they're looking through you at themselves in the mirror, <laughs> which is probably the most likely one. Yeah, absolutely. I think I can't we're probably imagine looking in the mirror when I worked out. Do people is that what everyone does? Yes. Why? Because they're so vain. That's yeah. so funny. If I saw a glimpse of myself working out, I'm like, I'm never doing mm-hmm. that again. I'm like, oh, new shoulder vein. <laughs> yeah. But so many people that. are worried that, you know, oh, people are gonna be looking at me at the gym. Yeah. And there's so many times and maybe talk to this, you're having a rest, like you've just, you know, lifted some weights and you're having a break and you're just gazing off into the distance. <laughs> oh, what am I going to have for dinner? And should I put that weight up? What was my form like? And then you kind of have this surreal moment where you recognize that you're looking at someone, <laughs> but I'm not actually looking at you. Yeah. I'm like in my own world. Yeah. So I, I do th- that all the time. Like obviously not at the gym, <laughs> but I'll be somewhere and I'm just like thinking and then I'm just, just staring. staring and then they look yeah. at you and you make eye contact and you're like, oh, my God. Yeah, like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but again, if we go back to the thoughts, we can have, we can start to restructure that thought that I'm worried if I go to the gym, someone might be judging me, but they could also be looking at me for various other reasons. Yeah. Or they could be so self-absorbed that they're just in their own world. Yeah. So yeah. we can start to what we call restructure our thoughts and change our thoughts. So that's kind of the one way that we can use that sort of more CBT approach. Of course, too, to preface that you can definitely see a psychologist or a counsellor when we're talking about how do we unpack these things and how do we get tangible kind of kind of homework tasks. Some listeners will be able to pick up this up and, and kind of, no pun intended, run with it. <laughs> but sometimes people feel safer to talk with someone where it's like, hey, I just don't really know how to go about this. Yeah. 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 And speaking of 
tangible. What action can we take to prevent our children having the same or similar lived experience as us? So I think if we go back to this idea of this triangle, right, so if you think about how this works for you, like your behaviours and your thoughts, essentially we're modelling that then to our children right, or to those who are in our life. We can't really ever see someone's thoughts. Right? What it actually looks like is your behaviour or what you say. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the first point is watching that language that's used to explain your relationship with movement, right? So again, I can't tell anyone exactly what to do, but if you know that you're making clear statements of like, oh, mum has to go to the gym because she's fat. Yeah. Yeah. I would probably advise that we can work <laughs> to change that language because again, you think of your little ones, right? They're observing that. Yeah. And it goes back to what we we're talking to at the start, which is, oh, so when we perceive that we need to change our body, exercise is the thing that we do, which again, will only get you so far. You'll change your body. Oh, no, stop now. Yeah. And then it changes. And you're like, oh, okay, I've got to go again. Versus modelling movement as something that we do because we enjoy it or even if we, like, don't enjoy it, I guess we're not expressing that we don't enjoy it, but it's just something that we do. Yeah. It's a part of our life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That also talks to maybe another a slightly different approach. I mentioned that that cognitive behaviour therapy approach, which, you know, don't get me wrong, I love it as a psych, heaps of research, but sometimes you sit down and explain that to someone and, like, they say to me, my thoughts are my thoughts. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, cool. So we then change and we go to more of this, what we call acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT approach. So what that does is rather than trying to change our thoughts and restructure our thoughts, we learn to accept. So some people will hear this and be like, but I don't want to accept it. So it's a very different uh, way to go about things. So to explain a little bit more, if I have the thought that today I don't feel like going to the gym and that happens, Right. Anyone who has a gym routine will tell you there are days when like, oh, I'm not motivated. I don't feel like it. So rather than being so tightly what we call fused with that thought, so if you think about that, there's a thought and you're just headbutting it. Yeah. Like, I don't want to go to the gym today. I don't I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. We become really fused. We become, become really stuck or intertwined with that thought. And it's almost like someone holding a piece of paper up close to your eyes. You can't see any other options. You just see, I don't want to go to the gym. Yeah. But if we start to diffuse or we step back from that piece of paper or we step back from that thought, and this is when it starts to sound a little bit woo-woo, so bear with me. If we step back from that thought and we notice the thought and we go, I notice I'm having the thought that I don't want to go to the gym today, that starts to set it in a different light and different tone where it's like, okay, I'm starting to notice my observing part of self that doesn't judge, that doesn't act. It's bringing it to this place of acceptance where, oh, that's there. Yeah. Now, again, if anyone has read anything in psychology or seen a psychologist, there's a really classic leaves on the stream analogy or script that you can listen to. So this idea that you're standing at the edge of the riverbank mm -hmm. and you look up the river and you'll see a leaf coming down the stream or the river and you go, oh, there's a leaf. You know, I'm noticing a leaf and you watch <laughs> it go by. Yeah. So acceptance and commitment theory really taps into this space of this observing part of self. And it's not reactive, it, it responds appropriately. And the commitment side is, is that if I can learn to accept my thoughts and emotions and, again, sounds a bit woo-woo, but almost like it's sitting next to you and I'm going to go throughout my gym session with the feeling there that I don't want to be here yeah. and that's okay. It's not good, it's not bad, I'm not judging it, it's not, you know, my worst day ever, it's just there. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, this takes practice. You do this the first time, you'll be like, what was that psych on about? <laughs> you know, I've had the privilege of talking clients through this for years and yeah. practising it myself. And there's some days it's still, you know, you have better days compared to others with it. But you start to learn that I don't actually need to shift this. Yeah. Maybe I don't need to shift the idea or the feeling that I'm going to go to the gym and people will look at me. Maybe I'm enough that I can build capacity. Just, yeah, okay. It's come, kind of saying to the emotion, come along with me. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. Right. Because what that does over time is it teaches you that I can still take the committed action. So this is the other half of act that I know is really values aligned. So going to the gym and building strength or whatever you're working on is really meaningful to my life. Like it gives me substance and it gives me meaning. Yeah. So it's very different to trying to change thoughts and feelings. So if we come back to, well, how can we pass this on to the next generation? Sometimes it is a little bit about like, yeah, you know what? Mum doesn't really feel like going to the gym today. But we go anyway. But, but go. that's okay. Like I don't need to feel good every single day to go to the gym. Yeah. 
And then when you do that, you're modeling that things don't need to be perfect. Yeah. I don't have to be wake up and put my feet on the ground and go, oh, today's a great day to go to the gym and I feel 100%. I can go when I feel 80%. I can go when I feel 50%. And that talks to, it's a little bit outside this podcast and I don't have children. So I just want to preface that. But when we talk to our children about emotions, I have a colleague who gave a great example. She took her son to a, I think they were playing soccer. One of the girls came off and she was distressed because like, I think she got hurt. Um, And everyone's like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And my colleague went up to her because again, she was highly distressed and she's like, it's okay if you feel hurt. Like you're allowed to feel this and really just validated and normalized it. Yeah. And then within seconds, she calmed down, then she's back up on the field. And another parent came over and she's like, how did you do that? And she's like, I just validated that she feels hurt and she feels a bit embarrassed. Yeah. And then it just calmed everything down. So it talks back to this ACT approach that when we can actually sit with discomfort, uncomfortable emotions, then they kind of leave us alone. Yeah. Mm. Which is a lesson for all things for in everything. life. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just like thinking of things that this applies through my head as you're talking. Mm-hmm. And so some days, so Magnolia does gymnastics on a Monday afternoon And obviously being little, she's still getting used to prep and everything. And some days she has dance at school and then that. So Mm. I'll pick her up and she'll literally be crying saying, Mm. I don't want to go to gymnastics. And I'll admit sometimes, and this is terrible, I'll say, I'm paying so much money for this. You have to go. Mm -hmm. But then other times when I'm being very self-aware and being a good parent, I'll be like, I know you don't want to do it. Let's just go and see how we go. And you might have fun once you start. Like Mm -hmm. what would be a better way for me to approach that? Yeah. And I think, again, to preface, you know, sitting here at the table, not having children, being like, you know, just sit in this space with your children, ask about their feelings. <laughs> and you're like, damn girl, I got stuff to do. Yeah, I've got to get to gymnastics. I got a schedule. Like 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to firstly just acknowledge that. But I think it is, it's giving that space. And it's, you know, when she's upset and just, again, being really curious, it's like, oh, you know, what's been happening today and what's happening right now for you? Yeah. Really broad, open question that she can take in any direction. Yeah. And I think, again, that's very, that's similar, that approach of like a buy in. Yeah. But let's go and see. Rather than us having a pre-thought, a thought dictating what we're going to do, let's go and do, right? And we can always opt out. Yeah. yeah. But even having that space of the, those really open questions, yeah, it's, you know, what's happening for you right now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think we want to be careful, not to say that you can never ask a why question, yeah, but we okay, need to be that. careful of tone. Yeah. because um, maybe this is more just a psych thing where we're <laughs> slapped over the knuckles, like don't ask why questions okay. because it can come across with judgment. Like why do you feel that way? Yeah, or like why are you crying? Yeah, why are you crying? Yeah. Would it be better to be like how would you rephrase that? Yeah, be like what is making you yeah, cry? Yeah, just what's what happening for you, you right like now? This? Yeah. yeah. Well, I can see that you're crying. What's yeah. happening? Yeah. Or, you know, you can use more maybe, you know, you know your children the best, like more – kid-friendly language. Yeah. I, I can see that you're upset. Might get into the conversation about where can you feel this? Yeah. Because sometimes it's, it's easier. Tummy. Yeah, it's easier to communicate what the feeling is rather than why. Yeah. I feel it in my tummy. I feel really sick or it's in my head. Like it's my, I've got a headache or you know, whatever the explanation may be. And um, is I probably already know the answer to this, but is bribery <laughs> really bad? Mm. If I'm like, if you do it, I will get you a you know, ice cream on the way home. Yeah. Is that bad because it's not sustainable? Yeah. I don't think bribery is like completely bad depending on how it's used. This is very similar, like, and we call this external motivations or extrinsic motivation, right? So we're dangling the carrot, do this, and then you get this. Yeah. Tegan knows my passion for uh, fitness challenges, (laughs) (laughs) but they're classic. It's like, hey, if you do six weeks and you get to the end, you can win a prize. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know you won prizes. You can win some money or some Really? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. As you can tell, I'm very (laughs) motivated by prizes. That's interesting. Yeah. So whenever we dangle a carrot, and that's okay, right, when we're trying to, particularly with exercise, if we've got someone who's completely new to exercise and we dangle the carrot to get them started, that's okay. Yeah. But ultimately we want intrinsic or internal motivation and that comes from within. I don't need recognition. I don't need reward. I don't need a prize. I do it because it fulfills something within me. Yeah. Right. So some of us will hear that, like, yeah, that's my relationship with exercise. For other people, they don't They don't have that. Um. So I think with children too, and again, it would be very, I think, you know, again, I'm not a parent, but it would be very hard to get through your child's life and never bribe them. Yeah. You <laughs> having, yeah. Right. <laughs> but it needs to be used very intermittently. Yeah. When yeah. it's the thing every single day that's getting them over the line to do oh, something. Oh, yeah, totally. Just as it would be with exercise. Nice. Yeah. I guess like a nice analogy for that is if you've ever maybe lived on a property 
or in a house with a wood fire, right? Or if you've ever had a bonfire or, so, or something to that effect or um, a fire at a camp place where you throw in some kindling and some bark and then you'll light it and it kind of gets it going. Yeah. And it's like, cool, great, we've got the fire going. This is happening. We've got, we're starting to get the heat. And then you add on some wood that's a little bit thicker, right? So we're starting to build this flame. So that's kind of like extrinsic or external motivation. I'm kind of getting you going. But then, again, if you've ever lived in a cold climate like me growing up where it gets into like minus five overnight, yeah. it's like I'm going to bed and I'm putting a massive log on this fire because I don't really want to have to get up through the night and stoke it. Yeah. Right. And this, I, I need to keep heating the house overnight. And that is that intrinsic motivation. When we can find that that massive piece of wood or that thing that's really meaningful to us and we put that on the fire and it sustains our behaviour. So, again, coming back to children, you know, I don't think it's necessarily bad to bribe and be like, hey, you know, look, if you get this done today, we'll go get an ice cream afterwards. Yeah. Again, I have distinct memories of playing hockey when I was really little and then mum and I would go to Macca's. Right? <laughs> but I also remember getting to a time point where mum was like, okay, that's enough of the Macca's, like. <laughs> no more. So, yeah, again, I don't think it's necessarily bad. And, again, it's not bad to have external motivators, but you need to be looking at the weight of those and when do you make that transition. To continue that analogy, if you just keep putting kindling wood on your fire, you're going to get worn out of that. Yeah. Like it's you're going to go, oh, this is too much effort. I'd rather just freeze. Yeah. You're stop. <laughs> yeah. Right? If you're like, oh. I'm just going to do maybe gym challenge after gym challenge after gym challenge and just keep going, going, going. And then you don't win. Next one, you're like, right, I'm not, I'm not doing this again. It's not yeah. worth it. It's too yeah. much money. I like, my cash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. I know I've just gotten so much out of this and I cannot wait to follow up with you. I think that I've got so much to unpack and you've already got me thinking and I know so many of my friends like personally are going to get so much out of this. So thank you so much. Thanks, Em. I always learn a lot from our combos. Yeah. I can't wait to listen to this. First of all, I'm probably going to listen to it about six times. times over and then over and over and over and over again. And, uh, the yeah. and then I'll listen to it as a full episode and I know I'm just going to get more and more out of it every time. Absolutely. No worries. And I think, yeah, if anyone's listening, you know, and you, things do come up for you, you feel free to write them down in like a little notebook or notes in your in your phone. Um, don't feel that you need to psychologize yourself. Right? <laughs> There's an element of creating this safe space. And then, yeah, I think it's important that you know sometimes people go, oh, you know, I probably should see someone about this, but I can't really justify seeing a psych just for my relationship with exercise. I'm obviously biased, but I see on the other side, it's like, if that's the thing that's going to help you for the rest of your life, yeah. Then, then why not? It's like any other health behaviour. So I would really encourage, if, yeah, if this conversation pulls things up for you and you would like support in that space, psychologists accounts can definitely help. I actually didn't even know that you could see a exercise or a sports psychologist if you weren't an elite athlete. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm very excited because I see a psychologist regularly for other stuff. So, like, why wouldn't I if I'm struggling so much to get back into fitness, you know, if this is going to help, it just makes so much sense to do it. 100%. It's one of the most important relationships you can have in your life with movement mm, yeah. and with food. So for anyone else like me that is wanting to follow up with some sessions with you or follow you on social media, like how can we do that? Uh, absolutely. So on Instagram, which is In Motion Psychology, and I also have a website. So if you punch In Motion Psychology into Google or Emma Slade Psychologist or InMotionPsychology.com, that brings up my website and you can contact me from there. We will put it on our socials and in the show notes as well. I genuinely got so much out of that. So thank you for inviting Emma onto the podcast, Tegan. I told you she would be good. No, I love that. I got heaps out of that as well and heaps that I'll be able to apply with my clients as well. I love that idea of the buy-in yeah, and of just driving to the gym and sitting in the car park and just building up the habits that lead to that big behavior. Yeah. Because like Emma said, she could go through her workout routine with her eyes closed yeah. and I could as well. But if I gave you the program that I do in the gym <laughs> at the moment, like that would be overwhelming. Yeah. So absolutely. it's about slowly building up your exposure to the gym or to getting there or to whatever form of movement that you're wanting to get into and then it becomes habitual love. Yeah. yeah. No, I love it. I just got so much out of it and I'm definitely going to make an appointment with her. I like can't wait to leave so I can call her and book in. But yeah, and Emma is going to be a semi-regular guest on the show. We're going to do a Q&A episode so you guys can send in some questions for her. Yeah, we've got lots of ideas for her. So she's probably going to be our resident uh, psychologist yeah. expert. And before we sign off, uh, as Tegan has mentioned last night was her last ever shift at f45 after how many years 
Seven and a half. Seven and a half. And Tegan put up a post last night and I've read all 86 comments and I just want to read two to you guys because... Oh, I don't... I did not know where this was going, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully neither of us get emotional because neither of us can really cope with other people getting emotional in front of us. But I think that this is important for everyone to hear what an impact you have on people. So someone has said, I hope reading these comments, you realise that whilst F45 has impacted your life, you by being there and being inherently you, you have impacted so many. I'm bloody proud of you and can't wait to watch you just continue to grow and grow, but also so glad that job led to you being in my life. Yeah, that was Jules. I know. She's one of my best friends now. (laughs) She is. And you've made so many incredible friendships out of that Yes, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And there's people in my community, in my school community and the kindy community that you've trained and that speaks so highly of you. So you're definitely someone that's very important to a lot of people. And I just want to read this one as well. So Teagues, I remember stepping into my very first class about six years ago. I was so nervous and worried I would vomit. You were so welcoming and encouraging and have been a huge support over the years as I've pushed myself through many of life's pushes. An awesome trainer and an all-round beautiful human. I will miss you. No. So, I mean, I could read them all out, but if you guys want to see any more, you can have a look on her Instagram and... I know I say this every episode, but this is why I wanted to do this podcast with you because I just want to share you with the whole world. This is really cute. I need to get better at accepting compliments. (laughs) I feel very uncomfortable. (laughs) Something else we can discuss in our feminism episode. Yes, definitely. I need that episode. Yeah. I think a lot of people have trouble accepting compliments because it is super awkward, especially when someone's sitting across from you in a microphone. (laughs) Yeah, it is definitely. And we kind of have grown up thinking that we shouldn't pump up our own tires or we shouldn't be too proud. And it's definitely something that I am trying to work on because we should be celebrating all of our achievements. Yeah. But it is definitely still a source of discomfort. I feel a bit like (laughs) shaky. You're like, what do I do with this? (laughs) What do I do? Too many emotions. Very, very sweet. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning into episode six of the Bread and Better podcast. I cannot believe that we are here already. Episode six, that's crazy. Time flies when you're having fun. We are having an absolute ball recording the apps now that we've gotten the hang of it and we would love your help to grow the podcast. If you have gotten something from this episode and you have a friend who you think would as well, please be sure to send it to them. You can also follow us on Instagram at Bread and Better Podcast as well as subscribe or follow us on your favourite podcast podcast platform as well as leaving us a review and if you are wanting to support us and you're wondering how to do it definitely follow us on instagram leave us a review and you can do the star ratings as well on most of the platforms and yeah just sharing us on social media to your stories or wherever it is if you still use facebook you can do it on there Um, but that would mean so much to us and that just exposes us to a whole new group of people. Thank you so much, guys. Enjoy the episode. Thank you. Take that bit out. That makes no sense. They've already listened to it. (laughs) God, we suck at outros. (laughs) Outros are the hardest part. I'm going to leave this whole thing in. (laughs) Okay, bye. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Productions.